Hello, Falava. You're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. Super Typhoon Mawa thrashes Guam, leaving residents shaken. Also, preparations are on track for this year's Pacific Games. And later on... People can actually see how life was in those days. Construction for Fiji's first living museum gets underway. Super Typhoon Mawa lashed the tiny U.S. territory of Guam last night, terrorizing residents who experienced howling winds and periods of intense rainfall, all within the space of 12 hours. While there's been no deaths reported so far, it's understood two people are injured. A typhoon warning was still in effect for Guam and Rota as of 2pm Thursday local time. Caleb Fotheringham has been following the developments. Cars were flipped and corrugated iron was torn off roofs when Category 4 Typhoon Mawa made landfall in Guam yesterday evening. The eye of the storm briefly passed over northern Guam with damaging winds continuing through Thursday. It was the strongest typhoon to hit the United States Territory since 2002. Meteorologist Landon Adlett from the U.S. National Weather Service office in Guam says it would take weeks for the island to clean up the mess. We are waking up to a rather disturbing scene out there across Guam. We're looking out our door and what used to be a jungle looks like toothpicks. It looks like a scene from the movie Twister with trees just thrashed apart. Uh, We lost most of our non-coconut trees out there yesterday evening. We have a mess on hand. The Federal Emergency Management Agency are reporting two people are injured in Guam as of Thursday morning. No fatalities have been reported so far. A spokesperson says the damage caused by Typhoon Mawa is currently being assessed by Guam Homeland Security, Department of Public Works and the Federal Emergency Management Agency. RNZ correspondent Mark Rabagal says government agencies were closed on Thursday and schools will remain shut until Friday. Mr Rabagal says following the storm, the first priority for Rota Island is to prepare ports to collect supplies. He says residents on the island have already reported damages to their homes. Their first mission once the sun comes out is go to the docks. That means to go to the airport, to go to the seaports, and clear the access roads going through it. So when supplies do come in, they won't have any difficulty bringing those supplies to those who really need it. The public information officer for the governor of northern Marana Islands, Frankie Eliptico, says Rota took the biggest beating out of all the CNMI islands. He says there have been no reports of major injuries or fatalities in the northern Maranas as of Thursday afternoon. No major damage has been reported from this morning. But again, those assessments are still being conducted. There have been some communication towers that have been affected. But as far as major damage that we are seeing on Guam, we are not seeing here in the Cinemine. A spokesperson for the United States Federal Emergency Management Agency say they have over 130 staff ready to help local response efforts in Guam and the northern Marana Islands. The spokesperson says the agency has over 100 generators as well as emergency communication equipment also being sent. They say the agency's distribution centre in Guam is fully stocked, with about four times the amount of food and water compared to during Typhoon Mancoot in 2018. 
Mawa was upgraded to a super typhoon after passing the Mariana Islands and could threaten Taiwan and the Philippines next week. That was Caleb Fotheringham with that report. For the latest updates and information on Typhoon Moa, head over to our website rnzi.com. The host broadcast manager for the 2023 Pacific Games says preparation is on schedule. Hosted by Solomon Islands for the first time, the Pacific Games will see 5,000 athletes and officials attend. Paul Vunituranga updated Pacific broadcasters at a conference in Auckland yesterday about the preparations. He spoke with Moira Tsuilaipa-Taylor following his update. The venues, which is probably the the aspect of the Games that requires the most work, will be handed over in September and October. So that's uh, well beyond, well before the opening ceremony. And I guess it's obviously quite a massive workforce and a lot of people to try and navigate and get ready for the Games as well. Yes, definitely. Uh, we're expecting 5,000 people. That is 5,000 inclusive of athletes and officials who will come to Honiara um, in November. And in within that 5,000, about 200, 180 to 200 alone is broadcast, broadcast personnel. And just in terms of the broadcaster who will be live streaming the game, have, have made any decisions on that? We've confirmed one so far, that is Fiji TV, who will be coming to Honiara and contributing to the game's effort. Um, we will be securing in the next couple of days, next couple of weeks, we will be securing another five to six broadcasters who will be contributing to the host broadcast effort. Two of them will be the local broadcaster. And you mentioned um, in your presentation something about taking production stuff or maybe editing stuff off-site, out-of-country. What did you mean by that? Yes, so um, that is uh, basically uh, distributing the production uh, using the internet to facilitate for some of this production because, as I mentioned, the the challenge is the limitation of flights into the Solomon Islands and also the limitations of the the hotel room accommodation. So because of those two factors, uh, it it is forcing us to adapt some of the ways we produce content and and one of those ways is for us to produce some content outside of Onyara because of the limitations and the challenges that we're facing. The internet is central to all of this. The internet uh, and technologies around production is central to this. Um, uh, but what what I also want to add is we're not removing everything from there. There will be an international broadcast center still in the Solomon Islands. And I guess, too, I just wanted to quickly ask that the handover, that's pretty tight considering the games are you're handing over in October yeah. and the games kick off in November. Yeah. Um, If you look at uh, the previous games, there are some other games that continue to uh, prepare, that continue to build until the last day uh, before the opening ceremony. So I think, you know, in terms of the the time, uh, that's uh, well beyond. And I was just there a couple of weeks ago. The venues are are ready. It's just the final touches that they're putting on right now. And so what... Venues are finished at the moment. So I'd say seventy to eighty percent. Um, 
so technically none of the venues are finished because they're still working on the final touches. That was the host broadcast manager for the 2023 Pacific Games, Paul Wunitoranga. Work is underway to establish Fiji's first living museum. The museum aims to capture the era of the British colonial government's indentured system. As Rachel Nath reports, it delves deep into the history of the arrival of Fijians of Indian heritage to the Pacific. It was the abolishment of slave labour in the early 19th century that gave rise to the Indian indentured system, where labourers were transported out of India to various European colonies, including Fiji, to work in plantations. The direct descendant and linguist Dr. Farzana Ali says the system was established to address a labour shortage that followed. The term girmet is derived from the English word agreement, and it was used to refer to the system of indentured labour that brought Indians to Fiji between 1879 and 1916. Under the system, Indian labourers were recruited from British India to work on sugar plantations in Fiji which was then a British colony. During this period, more than 60,000 Indians were brought to Fiji on the indenture, and they became known as Girmitiers. The indenture was seen as an agreement between workers and the British government, and over the next three decades, Girmitiers were shipped across two oceans to work the lands in Fiji, where a jarring reality awaited them. The Girmitiers faced many challenges when they arrived in Fiji, including harsh working conditions. And the Girmitiers were recruited under a five-year contract, which was later extended to 10 years. They were promised free transportation to Fiji, free food and housing, and a small wage. However, the living and working conditions on the sugar plantations were often very difficult, with long hours, low wages, and poor living conditions. The Girmitiers were instrumental in the development of Fiji's sugar industry, and to honour this era, a museum is earmarked. Dr Ganesh Chan, who is on the National Committee on Girmit Events, says the museum is crucial for Fiji. People uh, don't know uh, nowadays their own origins. So for Girmit, uh, there has been a total silence of materials in our curriculum all the way up to now. There's nothing in the text. So students don't learn these. Now, if they don't learn these in school, they grow up thinking that they own a narrow house and the day-to-day work that they do is the whole world for them in the country. The museum will capture not only artifacts from the Gyramid era, but also their way of life. A living museum would be one which will have an actual residence of the era that we want to depict. So people can actually see how life was in those days. It's not only seeing the artifacts and reading about them. Now this museum will be located in Rewa's Navilada village, paying homage to the significant history of the Girmatiers. In 1884, a vessel en route to Fiji named Syria was carrying around 500 Girmatiers, and upon arrival in Nasalai Reef, it was wrecked. Assistant Minister for Women, Sashi Kiran, says following the wreckage, rescue efforts were made mainly by the Itaokei people in the surrounding villages. 
that the boat was wrecked on Sunday 11th May and the rescuers from the colonial past came on Tuesday. So from Monday to Tuesday, the villages uh, led by Navilada villages, the fisher folk, had been rescuing people and the, uh, the notes also say, archives also say that, uh, there were only about 100 out of uh, almost 500 passengers left by the time the colonials came. So most of the rescue was actually done by the indigenous people. Construction in the museum has begun with collection of artifacts ramping up as well, all in the anticipation of the opening phase next year. The 76th World Health Assembly is currently underway in Geneva, Switzerland. Health officials from Pacific countries are in attendance to share their national health challenges and priorities. Most of the speeches have been friendly and warm, but a few were disgruntled. Finau Funua has more. The annual conference is meant for health representatives from around the world to discuss and relay their national health concerns. Vanuatu delegate Judith Melsol, who spoke on behalf of Pacific nations not in attendance, said that the Pacific struggled with an NCD crisis, health staffing shortages and health challenges related to the climate emergency. There aren't enough health workers to start with and we are losing too many to our migration. And while we may be emerging from this pandemic, we know another will follow. So let's devise more effective approaches to tackle NCDs so that our young people can grow up healthy and let's show up our health systems so that they can contribute serving patients in the face of climate change. It was a sentiment shared by other Pacific delegates in attendance. Most speeches were cordial, but a few blamed the foreign policies of other nations for causing health challenges. A Ukrainian delegate said her country suffered a health crisis caused by Russian missiles. Palestine shared a similar message about Israel. Marshall Islands Minister of Health and Human Services Joe Bajang said that Taiwan's exclusion from the conference was disruptive as Taiwan contributed significantly to the health infrastructure of the Marshalls and other countries. Taiwan's exclusion from the work of this assembly as an observer only to the impairment of the global health network. Taiwan has made significant contributions to global public health, including in the Marshall Islands. It's a message that triggered China's Secretary for Food and Health, Sophia Chan. She spent her entire three-minute speech clarifying the UN-endorsed One China policy, which effectively dismisses Taiwan from UN representation. The Marshall Islands is one of only 13 nations left in the world that maintains diplomatic relations with Taiwan. Chan said there's little opposition to the status quo. Any attempt to play the Taiwan card to contain China will be rejected by the overwhelming majority of members of the international community and is doomed to fail. The conference ends 30th of May. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. You can also download us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. So for myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far three four.